leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our presentation on breaking into the cybersecurity industry. We have myself, Christophe Foulon, co-founder of Whole Cyber Human Initiative, podcast host on breaking into cybersecurity and coach at CPF Coaching. Along with me is Paul Cummings, real founder of Breaking In Whole Cyberhuman <laughs> Initiative and my partner in crime for helping to change the cyber industry, the way that we look at developing and retaining talent and creating a sustainable way to have a talent pipeline within the industry. Our first topic today is breaking into the industry. Paul, what would be your first step of breaking into the industry? Oh, that's a loaded question. But the first thing that I would always start with is obviously your self-discovery and soul searching. Too often we are met with mentees or job seekers that use the blanket terminology, I want to get into cyber, but they don't know what they don't know. Therefore, you see them cold applying to copious amounts of jobs that may not really align to them. So soul search and really find what role you can see yourself waking up for and be happy with every day. Don't just chase a dollar amount. We have too many people do that and you see them, they jump ship so often based on the almighty dollar and we're left with gaps and cybersecurity. And that leads to the next question, Chris. How would you go about soul searching the skills that you already have? First, I start with really doing self-discovery in myself and understanding from what I love to do, what are the skills and competencies that I have that employers are looking for and one of the ways that I've learned to do that is using the Nest Nice framework. They have broken out many of the cyber roles, as well as the skills, competencies, and knowledge areas that cybersecurity analysts, consultants, managers would need to understand in order to be successful in their career. From there, I look at what skills and competencies I have versus what I don't have. And I include transferable skills from other industries that I've previously worked in, communication from sales, influence from sales, and things like that. So whether you're coming from the military or another industry, you definitely have transferable skills. You just need to think about them and how they would align to your desired role. Paul, what would you do in that case? I personally like the NIST NICE framework. The reason behind that is it gives you the playbook as written by the National Institute for Cybersecurity Education, how the seven domains of IT and cyber was developed. And like you said, it gives a clear roadmap of if I look at a cyber defender, what are the absolute knowledge, skills, and abilities and tasks required for that associated role? And then looking at your personal gap analysis on your skills that you currently have, when you really look at the meat and potatoes of the capability or yeah, the capability indicators on the NICE framework, you can see what is a true entry level point, what is a true intermediate, what is an advanced. Obviously, for me, I avoid trying to chase a certification for knowledge. One of the things about the NICE framework that is convoluted is it is certification based, but take that out of your mind and look at the knowledge 
and abilities that it's asking you or saying that you should have in this capability indicators and chase that instead. Because too often people memorize stuff to take a test without actually getting the hands-on to build their skills and their abilities. That's one route. The other is, like you said, with that internal self-discovery also trying to find like an aptitude test. If you want to be a software developer and you take like the U.S. Cyber Night Cyber Aptitude Test, for example, and you just bomb math, now it gives you a growing point that absolutely I got to build this up. And you can start soliciting tutor.com or YouTube channels for free math content to build up your skills because if you want to be in software, there you go. You do need to have a level of math. Same thing with your data sciences. And that kind of leads into the next question. How do you develop self, self-training path based on informational interviews that you do? Or when you look at a job description, how do you personally tackle that? Great question. And like you mentioned, looking at the job description gives you one idea. I think the most impactful for me has been informational interviews. So if I want, wanted to be a SOC analyst, I would reach out to SOC analysts at different companies in different industries to truly understand what are the things that they do on a day-to-day basis and what are the skills and competencies needed for that. I would also ask them what sort of certifications that help them along their path to get there, whether their employer has a certain preference for a certification. I know that the military has a certain required list that the private industry has adopted. But since then, there's been a plethora of other certifications. And some of the lesser known ones might be more helpful to developing the skills and competencies needed. So that's why I reach out to those folks. I understand really what they do in their day-to-day job and how I might be able to do that or not do that with my skills and competencies. Yeah, I like that. It's definitely a tradecraft that a lot of people need help with, especially looking for the informational interviews. And when you're, let's say Chris is looking for a stock analyst role, how would you approach somebody in a stock role? Would, how would you craft your connection request to them? That's a great question because networking is such a helpful skill to have. And really, you want to come across as a human and not have just a generic copy and paste introduction. You want to reach out to them and say, hey, this is me, I'm a student, or I'm a newcomer to the cyber industry. I'm looking to learn from individuals like yourself about what you do on a day-to-day basis. And if potentially I could have 15 minutes of your time to ask you these three questions. And it's helpful to have the questions already pre-framed so that you can understand how much time it takes. And that way they can see it's really gonna be at minimum, at well, at maximum 15 minutes. And if they aren't able to talk to you, at least they can respond to your three questions via text. And that could be helpful as well. Uh, The next thing that I would recommend is joining groups. That could be Discord groups, that could be LinkedIn groups, Facebook groups, wherever you've seen people in that industry join and congregate, that's where you want to be. If it's a local cybersecurity meetup, go there. If it's a conference and you can get access to it, go there. If it's something that you can apply for membership to because you're a student or your military experience and they have individuals from your school or um, the branch of military that you served in, that are willing to mentor and coach individuals, which there are a lot of those types of groups out there, join there. So it's not a one-prong approach. It's looking at different ways 
getting access to different types of individuals and really understanding the industry at whole versus one specific employer in one specific city. I like that. And that kind of lines up the branding that we're going to talk about in a little bit as well. But speaking on branding, your resume is your personal brand. How would you advise somebody when they're looking at a job description, for example, how would you advise them on how to tailor that resume to that? Would you suggest using one resume to rule them all? Or is there a specific format that you like? That's a great question. Today, the trend is LinkedIn is the first place that many employers, many recruiters, many hiring managers look at your profile, look at your brand, and that's where they usually get their first impression of you. So for LinkedIn, it allows you to be very detailed and put a lot of information, but you don't want to put just random information. You want to put the best stories or successes that you've had in your previous or current roles that align with things that you would do in your future roles. So if that means digging through and doing an analysis of certain frameworks, privacy frameworks in order to give a recommendation or even safety frameworks, if you had to do that, all frameworks are very similar. So you can use that experience to show what the situation was, what the complication was, and then what you did to get the results that happened. And that's critical. They want to see what you did and how you approached that problem and get the results. So sharing that in two or three sentences is very helpful. And then from there, in your about section, you can really appeal to the hiring manager, telling them what you're about, what you're looking to do, what you're passionate about, and really be vulnerable, get personal. A lot of the times, once you can build those commonalities with hiring managers, then they see you as a person versus a number on a resume. So if they went to the same school as you, served in the same branch of military as you, if they see these commonalities from your about section, it really gives you a secret leg up over other candidates. So highly recommend tailoring that to not where you've been, but where you want to go. So it's a future focus section. Then when it comes to your resume, you want to be more specific. Now you want to use the information that you gained from informational interviews, from the job description that you're specifically applying for, and tweak in those skills and competencies that you've had, those success stories that align to that, to show a hiring manager how you would be successful in that role. Now, one thing to be aware of is trying to include keywords from the job description into your resume. The reason for this is many, if not all employers use what's called an applicant tracking system. This applicant tracking system, all it really is machine learning algorithm or a key phrasing algorithm that looks for the keywords that the recruiter puts in on the back end. Based on that, they stack rank the candidates and usually the ones with the most keywords end up on top and the ones with the least amount of keywords end up on the bottom. So if your resume wasn't tweaked to that job description to that company, you might never get to the top, which is why we, Paul and I, usually recommend networking. Paul, how would you network to get a future role? I would use my instance that I just landed my new role with. For me personally, I like to volunteer. The whole Cyber Human Initiative was built based on volunteering my time. It grew bigger than obviously me, but through some volunteers, Volunteer work like Career Villages and stuff like that with the Diane Initiative is how I met the person that 
hire me for their job so they can move on to a new role. When you're networking, usually when you follow a good 10 people that you have commonalities with and you, you run in the same circles with, they know you more. They know you a little bit better. They interacted with you a little bit more. So they know your appetite. They know your skill set. They know how you articulate. And in reality, everybody's been saying it for close to four or five years now that 70% of all jobs are based on networking. You have a lot of un, unadvertised job roles that, you know, what we call them capability hires. If I'm working for, let's say, a DOD vendor or department of in general, right? Because DOD is not the only department of. You got state, you got transportation, education, labor, whatever, right? It's it's good to know who's doing things in those roles and follow them to see how they're articulating their self. And like you mentioned with, I'm networking with somebody for a role and I know that there's a big veteran presence and I'm a veteran, I'm going to reach out and say, hey, how did you tailor your resume based on your military jargon? Because that's a whole nother skill set on itself, translating your previous life onto a piece of paper for somebody that is trying to gain you into a new domain. Crosswalking is phenomenal. There's a lot of people that have secret talents that can help you translate for instance, dealing with food safety, they might have more affluence in governance, risk, and compliance because they've been associated with following checklists. But networking, phenomenal. Going back to the DOD contracts, if you're a capability hire, you're getting hired for a future project. And this is where researching who you want to work for matters. Look at their financials. Financials are free for anybody to look at follow their news feeds. If you look at a company that's about to do a merger, right? If somebody was trying to apply for Mandiant roles during the Google merger, then there might be a reason why you didn't get an interview, right? Because you weren't paying attention to the news to say, hey, this is a higher freeze until we actually obtain Mandiant, Man Google, Google Man, whatever you want to call it. But those are the 70% of the roles that are unadvertised are capability hires. You might have a skill set that is needed for a future endeavor that they just don't need now. And you can get pulled on to do something menial, menial to at least you. So using the candidate for experience, uh, as an experience, we had Frank Palmatano transferred from Leo over to SOC Analyst. And he talked about during the interview an issue that doesn't really get talked about a lot, and that's providing managed security services for municipals, energy sector, gas and power. That right there put the CEO in a mindset that this person can forecast change. And again, when you network the appropriately, appropriate way and you can convey that, you're going to gain an audience. That's and I would ask point. you the same thing because you and I both have uh, sat on different sides of the spectrum as far as skills and gaps analysis. What would you say as far as like staying in the same industry if I was in hospitality? And then obviously I skipped or I stepped on you with what you're about to say. <laughs> that, that That's a great point. I think you mentioned reading the financials for the company that goes into understanding the industry. So if you're in the hospitality industry, you understand the problems that a company faces on a day-to-day -day basis that are outside of the realm, usually of your technical skills. This is where your soft skills come into play. So if you've worked for, say, a hotel, and you understand specifically how the back-end hotel systems work, which from my understanding, are still old mainframes that run a software called Artemis that connects travel agencies, airlines, everything in this back-end system. And you understand that not many other candidates might. So being able to talk to the specific problems of that industry, 
as well as understanding where those changes are going. So as the pandemic hit, many hotels started advertising their conference rooms as a service. And you being able to see those changes can help them adapt to those changes. The other thing that I would say is don't just look at the specific industry, look at the feeder industries. So what feeds into hospitality? You have all the supply chain vendors that are in that. And if you can take your experience working for a hotel and then go to a vendor of all the major hotel chains, you can take that experience of how things work from the hotel side now to the vendor side, and you can share that experience and help solve those problems in that way. So for those that are looking to get into cybersecurity or even technology, yeah, don't be scared to stay in that same industry. The other thing that I was going to say that you mentioned when it came to self-branding and networking with individuals within the same industry is you can interact with their posts on LinkedIn. You can post on LinkedIn and see when they interact with you. And then that way you end up sharing value to them ahead of time so that they can see how you would approach a problem, how you would solve what they need. And potentially, you can help make recommendations for a role that they didn't think about, how to solve a problem that they didn't think about. So your experience is valuable when it comes to that. And that's your past experience, because we're all comprised of our current state, and all of our past experiences. Just because it's in a different industry, that doesn't mean it is not valuable. So let's wrap up this section. We've talked about how to break into the industry through self-discovery, gap assessment, working to network with individuals within the field. From that, develop a, tra a personalized training path personalized resume to specific job descriptions, networking specifically with individuals that are hiring for those types of roles or connected to the hiring of those types of roles. And last, don't be scared to stay in your same industry because you have a lot of problem-solving skills that can help grow and improve your own industry. Now, Paul, let's flip over to the other side. What would you do to start to create a talent pipeline and work on retaining stakeholders as a hiring manager? Well, as a hiring manager, the first thing I want to do is I want to conduct a skills gap analysis of my current talent pool. Too often, you see a lot of companies, a lot of organizations go for a new tool or to go for a new vendor solution, and they need somebody as a mouth solution. It's fine and dandy, but see a lot of job descriptions that are calling out copious amounts of experience for something that's only been out for one or two years. But understanding where your talent currently is, where they're struggling, can help you tailor that job description to what you need. And then throwing in your own seasoning as far as, again, if you're working for an organization, you should know what your forecast is. You should know if there's contracts or grants or anything like that your company is bidding on or any acquisitions or mergers that the company is going to be bidding on. And then look at those technologies that they use to see where you're going to need to supplement a shortage at. For example, if I bring on a new firewall, is it a security engineer role or do I just need somebody that's a firewall engineer? Right, Because it's going to be a totally different job description. If I'm looking for someone that solely babysit that firewall, I shouldn't be sprinkling in all the other skills that other analysts are doing because that's just going to cloud, cloud up this role and the responsibilities. And I would ask you the same thing because everybody has their own interpretation. What would you do? First, I'd start with understanding the critical skills and competencies that I need 
today to deliver on business because it's less about what we need to do for security and more about what we need to do to enable the business. So to deliver what the business needs, what do we need to do? Then conduct a gap analysis of the current talent where they have the ability to deliver on the business needs and where you're lacking on delivering the business needs. Paul, how would you develop an internal minimum set of criteria for entry-level, mid-level, and senior roles within your organization? This one's a rough one. Obviously, it would depend on the company I work for, the organization I work for, but really defining what that true entry point is. Is it something that is going to require someone to have X amount of IT experience? Or is it a role like cyber sales or business development where I wouldn't need 100% hands-on technical with? If you can define that, when you look at the Webster's Dictionary or any other dictionary, entry level is defined as zero to nine months experience. So as an industry, we need to start pulling together and redefining what entry level is to us. We're far past the grandfathered yesteryear techniques where somebody has to follow a linear path as a technician to make it into this domain. If you can clearly define that, it'll help you identify what your entry level roles are, what your mid to junior level roles are, and what your senior level roles are. I think our friend Naomi said it best. There are certain roles that each level has that can be done by an entry-level person for them to grow in. If I'm talking about doing SOAR, for example, and bringing up that automation response framework, have them develop it. That's an entry-level position. SOAR admin, SOAR engineering, where you don't need to have stupid amount of certifications or qualifications for. Then I would look internally, too, to understand what the client is that you're providing services for. You alluded to the DOD 8570, now the 8140. A lot of private companies are looking to be DOD supply vendors or supply chain. And you may have to associate your jobs based on that because, in reality, if you're looking at this requirement, it shows you exactly what this person's supposed to have per DOD. And that's going to alleviate if you have an entry-level position or not. Let's just face it, some companies are never going to have an entry-level position unless it is something like security administration dealing with GPOs or something like that. But understand what your company's business model is. If you can extrapolate and build out a SWOT analysis chart on what your company needs or what they do or what they provide, it'll better equip you to write those job descriptions to satisfy not only your needs, but satisfy the needs of the job seekers. We're pushing what, close to a million unfilled roles just in the U.S.? How many of those roles can be filled by simply doing a data dump on a job description saying what you exactly need? Three points. I think from there, what I'd then do is work to develop, based on the leveling, educational and training requirements that each level needs. For example, an entry-level or more junior role might only need a security plus for the DOD or for your company, where a mid-level might need something more senior. So you can use the DOD leveling to help guide that. But if you're not servicing the DOD, then you don't need that. What you then do is you look at the certifications that are out there and how they deliver the skills and capabilities that you need and marry that to the leveling of the role. From there, what internal training can you create or external training can you use to help keep the skills and competencies 
of your analysts fresh and growing with the technology that you're using. Because in reality, when you hire someone and they've been with you for five years, if you have not been investing in training and education for that individual, you're likely five years behind or at least two or three years behind with regards to the skills and competencies needed by the industry. So you want to ensure that you're continuously training and developing your stakeholders and marrying that to the growth path of those roles. And then that helps you create a pipeline from junior to senior where you have individuals that will stay with the company for a long time and some that might leave. But the reality is you don't need 10 senior people. You might just need one or two. You don't need 20 mid-tier people. You might just need 10. And you don't need 100 entry-level people. You, you might just need 30. So as you develop, um, the skills and capabilities and the training needed for those levels, you can also incentivize your staff to stay because you're providing them with that continuous growth where they feel like they're getting challenged, where they're not getting bored in their role, where they're working to solve problems because you've enabled and empowered them. Now, from that continuous learning, Paul, how would you describe the best way to grow individuals separate from the requirements needed for the roles? Before I tackle that, I'd like to take it back to, to add on a few things from what you said. You know, if you're looking at certifications and this is an entry-level position, you might find it that having that certification on your as a requirement might be good, like you're going to attract somebody that has that, but open up the option, ability to obtain this certification within 90 days of hire, right? Because as employers, we're kind of blind to the fact that there's a lot of talent out there that otherwise couldn't afford these certifications unless they had a paying role. If I'm working at a burger joint, I might my part-time role might not pay for a CYSA, a Security Plus, or anything like that. I might, I might need the internal education dollars to help with that. As far as building internal, the first thing I would start with is understanding the tools and solutions that your firm uses, right? Because we always want to upskill on the stuff that we're currently using. From there, Look at the free to low cost educations that you can use now. For example, Whole Cyber Human Initiative, Stainless Plug. Our program is really designed for entry all the way to senior. It looks like it's entry level based on what we're doing, but there's a lot of people out there that may have 14, 15 years in another industry that it's just not viable for them to take a $20,000, $30,000 pay cut to start at entry level. You know, case in point with you mentioned the hospitality, right? If, you, if you've been doing hospitality and maybe you're a regional director or manager for a chain, right? Is entry level really something that's going to be viable for you? And the reason why I say this is because your entry to junior is where you're going to be 100% hands-on. Now, if you have been doing regional work, and you know the tools and the vendors that are doing security for your hotel chain, you can come in as a business development specialist or a project manager. Because again, hey, I noticed the security on XYZ was bad, or hey, the user experience on this is this, or just pick a few things that you've seen. Same thing with being like an HVAC technician. We have smart of thing devices now, Nest, other devices that help you smartly control your thermostat. You have user experience. You're bringing in carnal knowledge of what you would do better. And that's just really one of the things that I would look at. And then once you identify 
I think one of the one of the cool things that this company I worked for did was the guy was involved in capture the flags. Capture the flags is a good way for a company to say, hey, we did XYZ on ranking and it showcases where your current talent is. And then if you know that the traditional mindset is an MSP is supposed to be an M or is growing to be an MSSP, where can you supplement that Intel training? Where would you go to get that? Right? Because you always have to forecast your change and be innovative. Don't be scared of AI. AI is not going to take over the world. It's not going to put us out of jobs. However, it's going to make a lot of roles easier, but you're always going to have that human intuition that needs to write that ML for it. So maybe build something out as far as that. Reach out to nonprofits or organizations that have skill-up academies. Partner with them because you might find that they can do a pre-apprenticeship program for you. Like our friends over at CyberUp, for example. There's multiple ways to build internal training, but at the end of the day, you have to know what your stock is on your talent, their skills, their gaps, and current tool vendor and future tool vendor solutions. The other thing that I'd add to that is work with the individuals, figure out what sort of problems you're passionate about and what you're looking to solve and how that could solve business problems and what sort of training might be needed there. Additionally, what I'd recommend that individuals do, and this might be harder for the smaller companies versus the larger companies, but is to understand that as people grow in seniority, some people are not people managers. Um, creating separate technical paths versus people leadership paths allows you to retain that technical knowledge within your organization when they get to that level where they would be a senior manager or a director within your organization, but they still want to remain hands-on. They still want to remain deep in the technology. Keep them in your organization. Create that technical path for them, which is separate from the people leader path. Because, for example, I love leading people. I know Paul loves diving deep into the technology. He was recently doing a big IoT research project, and he loved that. My, myself, I love connecting the technical people to the business. So I would probably be on the people leadership side. Now, Paul, you mentioned forecasting your business needs. And what would you do to ensure that you can align those to job descriptions, as well as ensuring that you continuously update your internal skills or role requirements to include those? First thing would be doing the asset inventory, not just an asset inventory on your computer systems or your servers, but your people systems as well. We, we advance so quick in technology that a lot of people, they find it hard to forecast. Participating in podcasts, whether it's the CISO Diaries, breaking into cybersecurity, CISO Hub podcast, simply cyber. There's just so many different places that you can go that are advertising new breakthroughs. There, if you do follow Twitter and you choose Twitter doc, for example, you can have a dashboard and you can follow certain hashtags or news sources and have them displayed on your screen on a daily basis. With quantum, we never fathomed that quantum would be produced so quickly. And now you have qubits that you can buy for $9,000 and they're smaller than a desktop shuttle. So it's kind of, as a hiring manager, as a director, you should always be thinking as a BSO, a business information person, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're following these sources and you can forecast out what your competitors are going to use, or you can forecast what your clients are going to use, it can better equip you and your organization on the training that you're going to need. For example, if a company is about to adopt cloud, 
if you've only been doing on-premise services or security and you want to keep that business contract, start getting people spun up on cloud. Same thing with AI, understanding the shortfalls of AI. They're far and few, but again, they're far and few because if I was to tell Chris right now to look at something on ChatGPT and I look at the same thing, how we ask it is going to present totally different answers. And that's the mindset you have to go in with, right? We are, cybersecurity is a very diverse community. We thrive on diversity for that, that, for that same reason. And it's, it's very prevalent to, to use that for upskilling. Ask, do a poll of your current talent and see what are some trainings that they would like to do. Going straight to the source is by far one of the greatest things, connecting the human to technology. You know that XYZ says that they wish they had more IAM experience, information assurance management, or identity access management. And that's a domain that your company uses. Look at the free or inexpensive training that's available out there and offer incentives for them to do that. Give them a reason to stay around. When you start getting people employed and meaningful solutions, they're going to stay around longer. I love how you jump straight into the technology and keeping up with the technology stack, whereas I would look at it differently. I would look at what the business is doing and where the business wants to grow. Do they want to expand with a new capability? Are they struggling with a current capability that we hadn't been able to solve for and now pull in the technology that would be used to help solve that capability. So it just kind of goes back to the, top, the, the path about the people leadership and the technical leadership. Your staff will also be thinking differently. Like you went straight down the tech stack. I went straight down the business stack. And that's why we need both those types of people. So as we wrap up, what advice would you give to hiring managers today to keep up with hiring in where we feel like it's such a tight talent pool, but there's really so much talent out there. Oh man, that's a really good one. So I don't have the academic article with me, but it called out about using yesteryear techniques, the grandfather techniques. We are, we're stuck in our ways to where we have this notion that we know what talent is. You mentioned already how some of the civilian companies are adopting the DOD 8140, 8570 and calling that gospel. It's, you have to, as a hiring manager, you have to break that mindset, right? Because for instance, we have a 16 year old that graduated our program. And I, I would 100% hire if you could get a public trust. But you're going to find that there's talent anywhere you look. It's, you got to be able to decipher it. You can do that by joining Discord groups as a hiring manager or recruiter. Participate in workshops when, when they have something like the Diane Initiative has a career workshop every year. Get involved with that and see how other hiring managers are tackling this. Don't be afraid to ask for help, right? I'm not saying, yeah, it, it might look bad if you openly ask on LinkedIn, hey, I need help with XYZ. No, ask your network. One of the first things that we did as whole cyber was create an advisor board, right? Not saying, hey, use an individual hiring manager, go out and create your own advisory board, but you know who your trust network is. Don't be as scared to ask them for help because they might have the same issue, right? And this is how innovation happens. Innovation cannot happen without debate. If you're not debating this topic, you're gonna to fall short and you're not gonna be able to attract the talent that you need. Uh, look outside of normal means. Think of somebody 
um, for instance, Department of Labor has a grant coming out about rehabilitating convicted persons. If you're thinking cybersecurity and you want the criminal mindset, why not go for a criminal? Yeah, they're not going to have certain privileges, but a consultant is a consultant. And I would argue that even a SOC analyst one is a consultant. Let's just be honest. If you're in cyber, you have to sell. And that's another thing. Everybody in cybersecurity is a salesperson. You have to sell the idea that your company is going to do that. You have to sell the idea that I know my job, I know my tradecraft. But don't use yesteryear techniques because it's just not going to work. Um, there's a few great initiatives that you can follow, like NICE, the National Institute for Cybersecurity for Education. They're leading the way on really redefining the roadmap of traditional talent versus new raw talent. Sponsor captured a flag. There was a company, bug bounty companies do it all the time. You know, they want somebody that, that can hunt those bugs and they hire people for it. Ask yourself if you can do that job. Because if it's something that you can't do and you can't explain it, is that why this job description is riddled with all this different terminology that you don't even know? Uh, so look in the mirror as a hiring manager and understand what your capabilities are. It used to be when you got hired on, you did your onboarding, they gave you a series of tasks that you would follow, and boom, now you're no longer green or blue. You know the role that you're doing, you're growing into it. But you can't do that if you don't have somebody that can coach you along the way. And maybe it's something silly as GPOs. Some companies do GPOs differently. We used to have Patch Tuesday. Patch Tuesdays like patches, patches come out now, <laughs> right? Explore their home lab. Ask a candidate or an applicant what they have as far as a home lab. I'm not a fan of the what do you have on your home network question because that's open-ended. Ask them what they're doing to upskill to, to compete against your atrophy. Participate in... Local chapters, and like you set yourself, right? So you got your local and your regionals. Maybe you show up to ISACA because you are a paid member. You have a CISM or a CISA or your ISC Square chapter. Participate in those and create think tanks around this topic. It's a fire hose. I know it's a lot of wordplay, a lot of wordsmithing, but I'm passionate about this, and together we can solve this. I definitely see the passion there, Paul. My recommendations harp on some of the points you already did. We're a diverse community. We need a diverse set of skills, competencies, as well as problem-solving approaches. And the only way that we can harness that is to ensure that we're getting candidates that have that diversity. So that includes reaching out to candidates outside of the traditional universities that you used to hire for, going to conferences outside of the main, like the Diana Initiative, local B-side conferences, things like that. You want to look for those neurodivergent folks like myself, you want to look for individuals from different socioeconomic backgrounds. You want to look for people in different parts of the country. And the reason that diversity helps is that it builds a resiliency in your workforce that allows you to better react to the changing demands of our society. Bring on new generations into your workforce, but also harnessed the advice and experiences of those older generations. Because what we need is all of the experience together. The newer generation might will be able to predict where things are going, but the older generation will see, hey, this looks like a repeat of a trend from 30 years ago that your 30-year-olds 
would not have seen. So they're able to share how they tackled it from a fundamental perspective and allow you to tackle those problems just in a new, different way. So as we wrap up, ensure that you understand the critical skills needed for your current roles. Ensure that you develop skills and competencies levelings for continuous growth of both your individuals as well as the roles within those entry, mid, and senior roles. Invest in your people. And lastly, forecast the business changes and how technology can help solve those problems ahead of time. And that's all for us today. I wanna thank you for joining us. A last pitch, consider supporting the whole CyberHuman initiative. If you have experiences from new folks that want to share on breaking into cybersecurity or breaking into cybersecurity leadership, we would love to share your experiences. And if you would like to utilize the framework from the whole CyberHuman initiative to help grow and develop your talent pipeline, reach out to myself, reach out to Paul, we can help you. Any final words, Paul? Embrace imposter syndrome. From entry level all the way to CISO, everybody has imposter syndrome. Use it to grow. If you find yourself Finding, looking at a job description, for example, and saying, hey, you know what? I really don't feel confident in this. Why don't you feel confident? Take that job description, pick out something, upskill on it, voila. And don't just believe the hype. When somebody posts something that they're more talented than you on paper, right? It's, you're not competing with them. You're competing with yourself. This is why it's called self-imposed imposter syndrome. Perfect. And then, yeah, the yellow branch is out there. Anybody that wants to utilize whole cyber human initiative, we do have a cohort that we can create. We can definitely consult with academia, academic institutions, boot camps as well to set up primers. And let's create a true return on investment for these job seekers. And that's all I have. Thank you very much. And all have a great day. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.